Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I'm very excited to be here with Indu Aurora, who is a lifelong student of yoga. So Indu, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on my show. It is my pleasure, Kino. Thank you for having me. And please ac accept my greetings, dear listeners. Yeah. Indu, would you uh, start off by giving a little bit of background information, sort of how you came to consider yourself a lifelong student of yoga, where your first yoga class was, your introduction to yoga, and how you came to be at the particular place in the world you're at right now? Yes, that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking how much to condense it because it has what I would consider where I am today is an unfolding from the childhood. And no, I was not sincerely dedicated to yoga right from childhood, but I was definitely a passive observer to be brought up in a joint family and uh, observed my father, witnessed my father practicing Ayurvedic daily routine, self-massage, nasya, and sh shoulder stand, headstand, you know, shirshasan, sarvangasan, and my mother doing the bhajan, kirtans, and reading the sacred texts every day. So I think that passive imprint was there. Um, the formal education started at the age of 16. That is when I met one of my teachers. Um, and my introduction to yoga was through mudras. So it was not in a class setting. It was meeting this gentleman whom I uh, call as one of my teachers because I learned so much from him. And he just introduced the practice of mudras to me at that age. That was my first step into yoga. And it was only at the age of 20 that I got the opportunity to live with my teacher and study with her. And um, I can say that would be my first class, something that I attended in a setting of 45 minutes or one hour. Um, but the first experience that I had was, I would say, interesting in the sense that my teacher was talking about Gayatri Mantra. And she spoke about it for just a minute or two. And she stopped and looked at me. and asked me, so do you have any questions? 
And to tell you the truth, I was surprised because I was there to learn. I did not even know what to ask. And at the age of 20, you know, the mind, my mind was a little, you know, kind of all over the place. And I did not know what are the different possibilities to ask. But I think the first seed that she planted in my mind was to be curious. And this, at least that's what I understand out of it. And the second seed that she planted related to yoga in, in my mind was not to be compliant, not to be just because she's my teacher, just take everything as it is, but ask questions. Mm. And not just yeah. to be a passive, sorry, not just to be a passive recipient, but to participate in the process. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious to hear how you came to this meeting with her. Was it by chance or did someone introduce you or did you seek her out? And where was this happening? At some level, Kino, I must have sought her out in my heart. That's the only thing I can think of. No, it was not an act of seeking. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds esoteric, but I met my teacher's teacher in my dream, whom I never saw before. I don't want to talk, I don't like to talk about this part so much, but I'll just leave it there. That it was at some level, it must be soul's yearning to have met my teacher's teacher in the dream. And then automatically uh, in the in the physical life, the life, the paths crossed. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. How amazing to have this kind of, you know, connection from the soul and spirit level that's guiding you onto the path. You said you lived with your teacher. So after that initial class, was it like, all right, let me move in? Or how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, you're asking all these stories. <laughs> um, no, it was... It was in some, my, my teacher never had a student living with her. She is around 85 now, living in Pune, India. And she's still teaching seven classes every day, six to seven classes every day, five days a week, not, you know, one a day or twice in a week. And, uh, but she had, she has participants coming in, learning and going away. Somehow, as I, I don't, I can call it both grace as well as huge responsibility that she said yes for me to come and stay with her. And that yes for was for a month. And I stayed with her for six months. The time was just flying. And one day, and just, I was 20, right? So what my age was like somewhere close to 21, halfway between 20 and 21. And one day, For me, out of nowhere, she said that it's time. It's time for you to go back and start sharing. And this will be the name of your center or institute, Yoga Sadhana, which is still the name of my website. Everything I do is under Yoga Sadhana. Uh, It is, for me, a way to pay back the debt of wisdom and not take it you know, for granted, not allow my own, you know, sometimes we doubt ourselves, which at times it's for good reasons, because we should always keep ourselves in check where we are. But that self-doubt should not refrain us from hoarding knowledge, should not refrain us from sharing it, but should, at some level, we should transcend it. 
And I had to because that was the Guru Dakshina. Now, for some listeners, maybe this is a new term, Guru Dakshina. Guru Dakshina is an offering to your teacher that you pay and it is not money. It is something that the teacher, if you, whom you consider as your guru, can ask at the end of the teachings. And the teacher at that time can ask anything. But, you know, anything as in, if someone is a guru, is a teacher, they're not going to ask anything. They ask what is not just beneficial to you, but in some ways to everyone else and everything else. So my teacher asked this Guru Dakshina that now mm -hmm. your studies are complete. This is my Guru Dakshina. You have to start teaching. Uh, go back to your home. And I just remember the day I took a train <laughs> at that time. I think it was a two and a half day or one and a half day. The memories are blurred. But it was. It seemed like a long train journey from that part of India to northern India. And within 24 hours, I just made some phone calls. My mother made, actually, it's not, it was not even me. My mother made some phone calls and said that my daughter is back in town and she's offering yoga classes starting tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> if you want to join. Isn't it like it sounds, what? Actually, one person showed up. That was the starting point. Ooh, how beautiful. And now you've gone from having one person at 6 a.m. to being an author of multiple books and teaching and living abroad and sharing yoga as, as a life path. So how, how did you, how did that start to grow? And suddenly there were more students and there was more teaching and how did that all happen? You know, there is a saying in Sanskrit that the act of dharma itself protects and supports the dharmi, which means the one who is doing an act of dharma. It, However it unfolded, I, I don't know if I can put it into words that, oh, this was step number one, this was step number two. It's difficult for me to think of it that way. All I know is that in all sincerity, I want to pass what I have learned. And whether it is to one person, whether it is in the form of writing, speaking, um, interactions, whatever it is, I'm just doing what I can to not hoard these teachings and, and to keep learning along the way, because that's the only way to keep sharing, to keep learning mm -hmm. and to keep a student mindset. So everything else, I think, is a consequence for me. I was a student 20 years back. I am a student now, and I will be a student till my last breath. That is the only truth that I'm aware of. Yeah. I love that. I think that so many people who are in the role of the teacher forget the importance of the role of the student and that that heart never really leaves, you know, um, ourself as a path. And, um, you know, to be able to keep that commitment so fresh and so alive is, a, is just a, a true blessing. Um, now, how would you define yoga if you're a lifelong student of yoga? So what is yoga? It means so many things to so many different people, right? Um, so for you and how you've come to understand yoga, what is it? <laughs> what is yoga? It's a really good question. I feel that when I'm in sync with the rhythms of the nature, I feel that is yoga. 
I feel that when I'm in sync with what's going on with me emotionally and bring up my discerning mind to find the difference between what is the right thing to do and what is it that I impulsively want to do, that is yoga. It is not, it's definitely not, it could be a one hour practice or half an hour practice. And it, it, that also is yoga. But for me, yoga is a practice that, I, that started in the first moment I met my teacher. And from that point on, it is endless. It is, not, it is not a practice that ever ended for me. It is a practice that continues more off the mat than on the mat. The ability to stay in that observational state of mind, keep maintain that awareness, that is yoga. It is, mm. in the words of my teacher, yoga is not something that is to be done. It is to be explored and realized. It is a state. It is not a thing to do. It is a state of awareness. And that is what, for me, is yoga. It, it's, <laughs> yes, I, I can keep going on, but uh, I hope that brings, oh, yeah. Absolutely. So interacting with um, so many people who have different concepts of yoga now you are um, in the United States and many people have uh, conflated yoga with asanas. And there may be some misconceptions about sort of the, the deeper dimension of yoga, which you're speaking about. How has that been for you to interact with um, people in the Western culture who have some misconceptions about the, the deeper dimensions of the yoga practice and sort of uh, relegate the yoga practice only to some asanas that they do for some short period of time? You have good questions, Dino. <laughs> um, there are a couple of things that are coming to my mind as I listen to this question. One is, really, who am I to judge? I'm myself a student. I have not arrived anywhere to then see that this is below and this is above. And am I not making some mistakes? Of course I am. So it is, I don't want to be in that state of mind to observe you are doing this wrong. I want to be aware of my shadows. I want to be aware of what are my blind spots. And I know there are many, no matter how many years and I can only speak for myself, I give to this field. I know there is, there may be, no matter how where I reach, there will still be just a grain that I would catch of what is yoga. Just a drop of what I might be able to digest of what is yoga. So the meaning of yoga has evolved for me over time. And I hope that it evolves for every single practitioner, even if you stepped into yoga or a yoga class, um, maybe asana class just for a workout. I hope that it brings you to the point of working. So, so I hope that for all fellow practitioners, all fellow seekers. The other thing that comes to my mind is that the loss is totally ours, you know? mm -hmm. It is not yoga's loss. Yoga is not going, yoga is not a person. 
who's going to feel some loss. Oh my God, you misunderstood me again. No, no, no. The loss is ours. This is eternal wisdom. It's up to us. How much do we want to drink? How much do we want to digest? How much do we want to embody? It's up to us. So if our paths have coincided with a higher wisdom, like yoga, with a wisdom path that is yoga, and we are not taking advantage of it by doing the work that is needed to understand its depth and breadth, we are the only ones who are at loss. So I hope we wake up. I hope we find some work out somewhere else. I hope we expand the size of our mat to the surface of the earth. Mm. I hope we don't think of it as something to do, but something to embody. Mm. Not as something to teach, but something to share, knowing that our experiences are limited and will always remain so. Mm. I think that's so inspiring to be able to reflect on our own humility, you know, along the path, because it, it is quite easy to having realized something sort of look and say, oh, well, you know, that which I once did was wrong. And it's easy to perpetuate, you know, divisions and dichotomy and then create, you know, more confusion or more division and go really against kind of the higher purpose of why we became seekers in the first place. You know, my teacher always said that asana was sort of a foundation, you know, a door. And many people need to take that door in. You know, there's so many people, particularly in the United States, that are very afraid of meditation. They're, you know, afraid of pranayama. They're afraid of, you know, um, conversion to a new religion. They're afraid of so many things. But when they see some stretching, they think, oh, that looks cool. Let me do it. And I think my teacher was pretty intelligent to say, let everybody just do asanas for some time, hoping that at some moment, they will ask some questions. And, you know, he never told people, oh, you have to go study Sanskrit. You have to go study sutras. You have to go this. You have to change your diet. But if you asked him, he had a lot to say, you know, should I study the sutras? Absolutely. Go to this teacher and learn that. Oh, should I change my diet? Absolutely. Eat like this, you know, but he would never tell you do this. He would just say, you know, take Surya Namaskar and begin there. And that's it. So I think that's a very, a, a, you know, very humble way of seeing this sort of hope of uh, the, the, the sort of promise of evolution. And then, and then in that way, you put your faith in yoga, you know, rather than in all of us flawed students on the path, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, it is, um, what is, I think, there are, there are three kinds of yoga. Ati yoga, ati means too much. Hina yoga, Hina means too less. Mithya yoga, and Mithya means incompatible, some incompatible combination. And then there is some yoga, which is balanced, harmonious aspect of yoga. The, one of the meanings of the word yoga is combination, compatibility. Mm-hmm. What I feel we can pull back just a little bit from is the ati yoga of asanas. Asana, I completely agree. It is not, to some extent, it is just the A of yoga. But teaching begins with A. 
the moment no try listeners i mean i cannot hear you but open up your mouth no matter what is your background cultural background language background open up your mouth and try to say something the only sound that will come out is uh that's the only sound we can produce the moment we open up our mouth and we can say that even though asanas is the a of yoga it is the a of yoga it is the first step in and it is also it also creates a foundation of awareness getting in touch with our body even though we are so body centered we are body obsessed but we are not body aware mm-hmm. so it brings awareness to the body and it also prepares for the mind to take a seat in the body which is meditation the ability for the mind to gather in the body so asan is very important but the over glorification of asan when we think of when we go to a class which we call a yoga class which is predominantly an asana class and we think we have done yoga i think that's where miscommunication begins there is nothing wrong with asanas but let's make let us observe the impact the ripple effect of it when we call a class which is predominantly asanas a yoga class we are passing on that that message that it is equal to yoga you have done today's yoga no mm. you have done today's asana yoga is a state that may or may not happen like you know the the truthful statement to say when someone says that did you do your yoga today the we can say that i did some asanas that may or may not lead to the state of yoga now who has that much time to yeah <laughs> that's a long sentence but you know i completely i value the i value the impact and the um the place of asana in yoga it's not something that i do not see and i do not see that it has its purpose and its benefit and its effect but we have to start talking about other things also but i also hear what you mentioned about your teacher and that's the difference between a teacher and a guru right a, a teacher is maybe just teaching about something whatever but the guru is not just someone who has knowledge but wisdom and wisdom is not sharp like knowledge knowledge creates sharp edges this is right this is not hmm? knowledge creates definitions define when we define something we say this is it which means the rest of it is not but wisdom is like a circle there are no sharp edges there is inclusivity there is openness it it has infinite expansion that is that is the roundness the the smoothness the uh the softness of wisdom and like your teacher gave suggestions only when asked i remember this this reminds me of this incident with my teacher when i was living with her for 6 months and this is like two day in just two days in me living with her and i'm 20 so i'm living with her i have my i have my room and she is teaching classes um she wakes up at 4 am at that time that was what 25 years back when i met her more actually i 20 i'm yeah 25 i'm 45 now actually 25 years back that i met her she used to wake up at 4 i i just met her and she wakes up at 4 and she used to wake up at that time and uh, she used to begin teaching her classes 
first two days she observed me i'm sleeping i wake up whenever i want to wake up okay okay i think i can go to the yoga room and attend some classes the third day she stepped into my room and she was she looked into my eye and said indu what are you here for if i see something that you are doing which is not in alignment for what you are here for living with me i will only remind you thrice three times i will only give you three reminders if you wake up good rest is your karma oh day 3 i was up you know <laughs> but the point is i think not to interfere in someone's path what in some ways and i'm not saying this is right or wrong i'm just bringing a point of view in some ways because yoga has become a profession and something related to commerce it has also related to numbers whether it is the numbers that is money that comes in or goes out or the number of followers or the just the numbers it has become numbers the number of participants so we feel we have to usher people we have to convince them you need yoga we interfere in people's path their karmic path everyone has a physical mental karmic even spiritual readiness to absorb and digest certain concepts and in that path no one is right or wrong they are just in their own journey but when we think it's our job to go and knock at the door and call them and hey go uh, yoga is wonderful you need to eat this fruit you need to enjoy it that is when we try to dilute it start diluting mm-hmm. it. how will it work for them how will i bring this person in i think mm-hmm. so this is not the only reason cannot be the only reason but i feel to some extent it is one of the reasons you have mm-hmm. to allow that seeking that desire to come from within it's mm-hmm. people used to find yoga as a result of self inquiry their restlessness related to wanting to know who am i mm-hmm. reached that peak where they felt that okay I, i don't i'm not interested in this or that i'm interested in finding myself so that is readiness Mm-hmm. Yeah, the student's readiness. This is the beginning of, you know, the Bhagavad Gita. This is the beginning of Yoga Sutras. It's because the student is ready that now the path begins. But it's true, you know, we can't go around banging on doors and trying to force the student to be ready. You know, maybe someone they really just want to stretch and work out. So that's what they want. Great, you know. but and then we're banging on their heads going you need yoga and what they really need is crossfit you know and that's okay right and i think that there is this kind of schism between you know the integrity of the very precious sacred teachings and the reality of the yoga studio owner where they have the bills they have rent to pay they have they don't have an endowment and then they sit with the schism of gosh how am i going to make rent what classes uh you know are really going to draw people in the door well i really want to keep the meditation and the pranayama class on but it's the power yoga ladies class that's totally booked and is paying the rent so what do i do you know and this is a schism that i think a, a good number of you know um yoga teachers or studio owners sit with because look if you've decided to open a yoga studio or be a yoga teacher you've in some way decided to commit yourself to the the practice so you have 
love the practice enough to make it your life. And then you sit with the schism, you know, um, what if, what, what's been your experience of, uh, of that individually and perhaps observing from the outside looking in it? Do you have any advice for people that are sitting in that schism with a, you know, ginormous rent to pay and, you know, um, wanting to stay true to the teachings at the same time? See, I'm not a business coach. I cannot, <laughs> I, and at the same time, I cannot undermine that if you have opened up a place of brick and mortar, that there is rent to pay. There is no conflict about it. It is the truth. However, I hope that you did not pick yoga because it was trending and opened up a studio. I, I can only hope that it was not just something that you got bored of doing something else and you thought, let me try yoga. I hope that whosoever feels inspired to open up a studio or, you know, in whatever ways, take upon themselves this as their purpose to share it with not, not just make it a self-practice, but share it with others in some way that you trust yourself. Trust, trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Trust the nature. Nature supports nature. Nature supports nature, but you have to be aligned with your, that uh, you have to be aligned with your own innate nature for that. And I think somewhere in the beginning of our talk, I shared this, that there is a phrase in Sanskrit, which basically means that dharma protects the dharmi. Mm -hmm. Trust that the mother earth will provide you. Mm -hmm. It is not our needs that we are worried about. It's our greeds that we are worried about. Our needs will be met. Needs are basic. They will be met. It's our greeds that are never ending. Now, I don't know if yoga can meet your greed. This path can meet, meet your greed, but it will provide you. If you're doing something that benefits not just you, but many others in the process it, it becomes a part of nature's own, um, I don't like to use this word, but I will use it, nature's own conspiracy to support you. It's nature's own effort. You are a part of the process now. Trust, mm -hmm. trust that. And there will be ups and downs and everything. Who to, who, if anyone told you yoga is easy, that's wrong. Yoga is a path of courage, not just for for of pleasant experiences. It's a path of courage where you get to see in the eye of on your own eye, where you are challenged to look at your blind spots, where you are forced to look at your biases. It is that path. It's a path of courage. Mm -hmm. So be that warrior. Don't don't just do me of a, I think my teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't don't just yeah. do warrior pose on your I love that. on I your think... mat. Don't don't just do. There are so many kinds of warriors, you know. In yoga, that there is in text, there are there is not just one vira. That a vira means the courageous one. There is dharma vira in such moments when you feel, oh, the numbers are not meeting when what I expected. Be a dharma vira. Keep doing your dharma. You know, don't just be warrior in the sense of building the muscles and ready to, you know. 
just flex. No, it's at times you have to be humble in, and that is courage. That humbleness is courage. Mm-hmm. It, it's, there are so many kind of dharma veera, karma veera, shura veera, which means the physical strength warrior, uh, prema veera, someone who, who has the courage to love. There are so many, when you even practice mm-hmm. warrior pose on the mat, which veera are you going to practice? Which veera are you going to invite today? Which veera are you going to embody in your, in your everyday life? It is a path of courage. And it is a path of dharma. So remind yourself, whatever unevenness is there, it will be evened out. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I, love, I love your perspective on this. It reminds me of something my teacher used to say when uh, similar questions were posed to him. He always said, protect the dharma and the dharma will protect you protect yoga and yoga will protect you. And I think it's maybe the same quote that you're referring to. And, uh, and this is something that we have so much fear that, oh gosh, if there's only, you know, there aren't enough people. But the other thing my teacher used to say was you need one student to be a teacher. You don't need a hundred or a thousand. If you have one student in front of you, that's all you need. Teach to that person. Maybe that's who you were supposed to serve. So let that be enough, you know? Yes. There is one thing I would like to, I, I loved how you put it, serve, serve that one person. Teaching, I don't know about teaching. Teaching is very high a word for me. I prefer sharing and I prefer serving. Serve that one person. And actually, it's quite the opposite. That person ends up teaching you so much. Mm-hmm. So, yes, just, just one is enough. I, I, with the hope that if you are holding a flame in your hand, you just need to light one more candle. That's it. Just one more. And do that with sincerity. Not, see, at times we, we also feel the pressure. Like in, one, in our conversations, it came up when you mentioned uh, knowing Sanskrit or knowing sutras or knowing texts. At times we feel pressure that in order to be authentic, we have to know. Now, there is nothing wrong. In fact, it's great if we can connect to the ancient text and understand it. But my teacher, whom I learned from, she said that just one sutra, hold on to one, to, hold on to the tail of one sutra, choose one sutra out of 196 of the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, choose one, but become that. Mm. Just one, but become that. Digest it, chew it. Like how if we eat an apple today, in a few days it will become muscle, bone, skin, energy, focus. Eat that, digest it, become that. We've, we unnecessarily create this pressure on ourselves. Yes, we should have a seeking heart, learning heart, keep learning. I am absolutely for it. In fact, I would highly encourage everyone to keep continuing their education because that is very important. Because when we stop learning and we start thinking, I know that is where yoga has become a yoga, not yoga. Mm. However, all of this Learning should be with the foundation of contentment, santosha. Wherever you are is also okay. Keep moving up, but not with 
impatience, restlessness, insecurity, fear, or FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Not with that, but with contentment, with contentment, stable step, but keep moving, keep learning. That is, that is also very, very, very important, but don't do it because you feel that you feel this collective sounds or the dominant sound that you must study or it should not be something from outside. Mm-hmm. It should be from inside. It should be start spending some time with yourself, with your own mind. Listen to it. We talk a lot. We don't listen. We, mm. do, we do monologues. We don't <laughs> believe in dialogue and listening. We have to be good listeners to be a good student of yoga. Listen to your mind, listen to your heart, because that is where eventually all the teachings come from. And that is what will guide you what to study next, what to learn next. And otherwise, we simply give in to whatever is shouting the loudest Mm -hmm. in whatever ways. Mm -hmm. We give in to that voice. And that is not, in my limited awareness, how we take the next step in yoga for ourselves. Mm. The next step in yoga should be check in with yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't follow a trend. Don't follow a friend. Uh, just because, no, out of boredom. No, no, no. There should be some stronger reason what you want to study and with whom you want to study. Mm-hmm. That is also so important because as mm-hmm. you're continuously mentioning your teacher, Kino, uh, and I'm also mentioning my teacher, we know the, imp- I feel we know some importance of getting connected to a teacher who, when we say the word teacher, naturally there is this bow that happened and happens in our heart. Mm-hmm. Naturally, there is that smile that happens in our minds. There is just gratitude that flows. and finding that teacher, we have to sit with ourselves. We have to be clear with ourselves. What are we looking for? Uh, That discernment is really, really important as a student. I consider it a very important discernment in any field, but more so in philosophical fields like yoga that don't just choose a topic that you want to study. Also do the homework. Whom do you want to study with and why? Is the person just good at speaking, good at writing? Or you can feel the person embodies. That embodiment mm-hmm. of yoga is very important. In my limited mm-hmm. opinions. I absolutely agree. And Indu, you know, I'm going to have to ask you, which is the sutra that you decided to hang on to the tail of. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. It is, it is a personal journey. It is. Yeah. See, yoga is a personal practice. That is the reason it's called personal. It will not benefit anyone. You have to find your own truth. Mm-hmm. I also really Otherwise it will become but I comparison. Oh, she chose that. It might be better. What might be yeah. hidden. No, there is nothing mystical. Whatever yeah. you are drawn to, that is... Just start from there. All sutras are equally beautiful, powerful, deep, and have the capacity to take you to the state of yoga. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's one of the beauties of the teachings, you know, the idea that 
if we go back to what you were discussing, the grasping mind, you know, I want to get more. Oh, I did this yoga sutra course and now I'm going to do this course and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. It's like we collect things rather than understanding that the lineage and the, the power of the, the knowledge, it's so potent. So, you know, we, 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 if, we, if we really digest just one drop of the teaching, it can transform us. And rather than going from here and there and here and there, you know, like we're in, like we're in the mall trying to visit every store and get every single thing. And, and we're operating from this grasping mind to really just, you know, work with what we have and practice what the practices that we do have, you know, and uh, we, we grasp for things, whether it's a new asana or it's a, you know, a new teaching that we want. And we think, well, now I'm somebody because I can say the sutras or now I'm somebody because I can read Sanskrit or now I'm somebody because I can do a handstand. It's all that grasping mind that, you know, is kind of hopefully what we've come to the yoga practice to one day transcend, you know? And uh, what, what advice do you have, you know, for people that are kind of lost in the path? You know, they're practicing, but they don't know how to you know, they don't, they don't have a firm ground, maybe because they don't have a teacher, you know, but what, what have you seen when people are somehow in the practice, but also somehow lost? There are two things coming to my mind. One is somehow we are so afraid of boredom and therefore we seek entertainment. We want yoga to entertain us entertain us. Oh, new asana, new mantra, new mudra, new technique, new book, new teacher. We want something entertaining. Uh, actually, in yoga, you do the same thing many times. And that doing same thing many times may lead to mastery. Now, mastery here means being able to, when all the external practices become internal processes, that is mastery. I will repeat this again. When all the external practices become internal processes, that is mastery. And for that, we have to go several periods of boredom. It is through those boredom that comes times and moments of reflection and self-inquiry, and therefore a spark of insight. We have to be patient. Patience is a very important quality as a student. Stories coming to my mind. Anyways, um, the other thing that is important is on this path, is not just to have patience and look and think, look at yoga through the lens of entertainment, but at the same time, there is that, you know, there is that value of sankalpa that no matter what, sankalpa is, means basically no matter what that this is the sacred vow and no matter what, I keep up to it. I move on with it. Those who feel lost 
I think so many, so many times we either are comparing with someone else and therefore we feel we are lost or we feel that there is a certain expectation of where I should be or should have been that expectation that we may have of ourselves or we feel the pressure that because someone have, might have it from me that we feel lost. And sometimes, as you mentioned about, perhaps maybe we have a teacher and maybe we should look for a teacher. The last time I met my teacher, you know, she's 85. Every time I meet her, I, I feel like there should, I, I want a glue. Like I want just, you know, you know, time, you know, you, you have that ticking clock and I want to live her. I want her to live forever. Such as, such is the greed of mine, such is the greed of mine that I want her to live forever. But she told me that Hindu make nature your guru. Nature is the one that is the living teacher of yoga. And sometimes we feel lost. We feel that, how do I find a teacher? How do I find that teacher that, you know, some people talk about? And what if I don't find that teacher? Is, does that mean yoga is not for me? And then it becomes a privilege for someone who have found the teacher and others who have not. So it becomes a practice of have and have nots. No, we all have that teacher available. My dear listeners, we all have that teacher available. The sun and the moon, these are our teachers. The trees, the insects, the animals, these are our teachers. These are our gurus. Why do you think there is a dog pose and there is a simha mudra and there is a tree pose? Why do we think there that is there in yoga? Why is there a shalabhasan or locust, or locust pose? Why? Why is there a bhujangasan, a snake pose? Why? Why is there a brahmari pranayam, humming bee breath? We are yogis took inspiration from everything in nature. So like that honeybee, gather that honey from nature and you will have that, you will have that teacher whom you can trust completely. Yeah, I think in our contemporary age as well, Everyone has a teacher, even if they don't realize it. You know, sometimes I meet people that say, I taught myself yoga. And I usually say, that probably means you watched a bunch of YouTube videos, read a bunch of books, and looked up things on the internet. So every single person who made those videos, wrote those blogs, and wrote those books, they're your teachers. And we don't realize this, particularly Western culture. We're so interested in being individual, independent, putting our own names on things. We're trained in capitalism and copyright law. And, you know, the first thing people say is, you know, when are you going to invent your own this and, you know, <laughs> invent your own that? And, uh, yes. Yeah. So I feel that there's some cultural gap, you could say, between the capitalist ethos of, uh, you know, uh, the United States of America and, and the sort of ancient wisdom from India. I think maybe this is one reason why so many people in the United States and in North America are interested in yoga. It's almost like, gosh, there's something there that's calling, that's missing from, you know, this North American culture. And at the same time, there's also a lot of you know, mistakes and, and things that people make when they're new on the practice. They 
mistranslate various, um, you know, uh, Sanskrit terms. They, you know, dress up in ways that they don't know anything about the culture. And at the same time, it's maybe from a place of ignorance, but what do you think about that cultural schism? And what have you noticed? I mean, you now living in the United States have probably a very uh, unique perspective on uh, this, uh, you know, th- this this kind of cultural schism that that is kind of rampant today. Yes, there is. And see, I can speak from my limited experiences as someone born and brought up in India. What I feel odd or surprising or shocking what is someone else's understanding of India and its culture and sometimes it is offensive sometimes it's okay understanding that you know it's a human being only trying to understand or not able to completely grasp or someone just chose to stay in the sphere of ignorance One of the things that you mentioned that inventing something new, when are you going to invent something new? It's almost like a pressure, right? That you are on this path for so many years. Where is something named after you? Uh, But there is nothing new to invent in yoga. Yoga is only to be discovered. Nothing new is to be invented there. Only to be discovered. If you're talking about a state, that is to be discovered, not to be invented. You're not going to invent a new state, that a new meaning of what is the consciousness in samadhi. However, the, the, it, see, for me, really, I look at it from the point of, as you mentioned, ignorance or lack of enough interest or uh, compliance. Sometimes we just comply. We don't ask questions. We don't want to know more because, you know, we don't, even at times, we don't even know what are the right questions to ask. No matter whether you are a North American, you doesn't matter which part of the world you are from. Be curious. Be sincere in your approach. It is, that is when we will not appropriate something. There are several examples of appropriation, right from what someone wears and how someone says something and how someone does something. And those appropriations leads to mistranslations and misunderstandings. And no matter what, distance, I feel it creates distance. Distance to what? distance to the to what yoga is all about right now we're talking just about yoga so it creates distance and that distance is harmful for whom for us that's it no one else mm-hmm. maybe you will offend someone a group of people that shall also pass some people people will move on you will move on maybe you will learn something maybe you will not the point is if we are not curious it is our loss. We are missing what is the significance of this thing. We are missing what is the significance of 
holding a jap mala of wearing a jap mala what is the difference between different kinds of malas that it is not mala beads the word mala itself means a string of beads so we are saying beads beads it is you know it is it is not the problem is not that you said namaste the problem is we did not inquire enough that there is layers of namaste namaste is a greeting in some parts of india not in in and different parts of india there are different greetings and namaste is just one way to recognize someone else's presence so from that perspective it's absolutely okay what's the first thing if i'll go to a country where english is not the spoken language hindi is not the spoken language I, what what be, what would be the first thing i want to learn how do you say hello there so i think that's beautiful if someone wants to learn how to say hello in india and the part of india they're going that's so it's okay to say namaste what we miss to understand is that namaste is a spirit is a spiritual invocation too that it is not just a spiritual invocation there is not just that layer there is another layer in between uh, everyday greeting and spiritual invocation and that is that it is used in puja rituals it is used in fire ceremony rituals it is used in invocation of devi and devtas gods and goddesses so namaste has a religious connotation it has a spiritual connotation it has it is an everyday greeting so when we do not understand namaste and it's a scope we might offend someone so what is the answer to that be curious mm-hmm. be curious ask more questions holi is not just the festival of colors diwali is not just the festival of lights you know <laughs> the yoga is not just a practice of asanas there is more to it and there are there are more ways to show that one is dedicated to this culture than to put bindi than to put hina in the hands than to wrap a scarf nothing bad and wrong with any of this there are more ways embody embody that humbleness embody that openness embody that sincere curiosity of a seeker that commitment of a pilgrim those are the markers of someone in the path of yoga not someone who is necessarily wearing a bindi putting on a mala wearing a scarf it's okay if it touches your heart and you find it beautiful wear it and know more about it ask more questions about it but if you're really trying to embody yoga become that your presence will speak for it Indu, I think this is a wonderful place to leave all of the listeners with a point of curiosity, a point of embodiment. Um, the last thing I'd like to ask you is if you will just remind everyone where they can find you and where they can learn more from you in case they're curious. <laughs> yes, you are welcome to my digital home. That is my website. uh which is by the name yogsadhana.com and there is no a after y o g it is just y o g s a d h n a.com yogsadhana.com you can find me on the social media home my social media home is instagram you can find me there in the aurora official i look forward to welcoming you in my home i look forward to sharing the limited i know and serving you along on this path as a fellow seeker Thank you so much. It's been my honor, my privilege to spend this time with you. Equally mine. Thank you. Hey there. It's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. 
Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.